presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God's truth in today's society from a multi-generational pastoral perspective. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of Aletheia Bible Fellowship's Project Vigilance, a web portal that provides internet Christians out there with helpful content and insights. We're produced by ABF's Vigilance Radio Network. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about us. At the top of the show today, let's remember to help us spread this content by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this episode. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and join our Facebook group where you can stay up to date on this and all our programming. You can find it at vrn.abf on Facebook. Now that all that's said, I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Tooth Time. I am Pastor Monty, and we are going to continue our discussion of the uh, of Scripture, and uh, and then also uh, continue our discussion in regard to relationships. So this morning we are looking at Second Thessalonians. We had uh, ended First uh, Thessalonians last week, and uh, now we're going to delve into Second Thessalonians uh, in the Christ Factor. Second Thessalonians is the uh, is uh, the sequel, the sequel to First Thessalonians. <laughs> <laughs> the the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and uh, basically uh, continued to discuss with them uh, issues that were present in the church. The church at Thessalonica uh, was uh, really one of the churches that Paul. Um, admonished and looked up to because they had gone through some tribulation, they had gone through some uh, some testing, as it were, and had uh, continued to be uh, continued to be steadfast and continued to be uh, pure in how it is that they um, dealt with uh, the things that they were dealing with. However, the Apostle Paul is encouraging them uh, to be to continue to be steadfast and seeks to address some of the issues that they can expect. Uh, in the, in the end times, and so it is. It is, I think, very pertinent to uh, what we see happening around us today. Uh, you know, I have uh, made a choice this year to try to stay away from all of the uh, political intrigues. Yep, there's a lot the, of it, and the cultural intrigues which are going on. Uh, but I will tell you that uh, it is it is full blown. Um, and we should not be as as disciples of Christ. We should you don't you don't have to digest some of it as I do uh, regularly in order to keep up with things. I think that as uh, that as one who is active uh, in teaching and in uh, speaking with people about what's happening, I think part of my responsibility be up on what's going on. Uh, and and yet I find that there are many believers who find it, uh, if not overwhelming, boring, you know, I don't want to talk about that. And, and uh, you know, it's that when I was growing up, there was the, uh, the belief that, uh, you know, there's two things that you don't talk about. Mm-hmm. You don't talk about uh, religion, and you don't talk about politics. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why? Those are, the, those are the two most fun subjects to talk about. Right. Uh, but... Um, but there is a lot of stuff going on, and uh, there are a lot of changes which are trying to be uh, forced upon society in uh, various ways. 
and uh, and and we need to recognize uh, that um, th- these things are all precursor. And I know there may be some of you who think, well, you know, uh, people have been saying that for a thousand years or more that what we see happening around us is a precursor to the uh, to the Lord coming and taking His church. And yet, uh, if you're a historian or if you uh, if you are uh, a student of history. Uh, you might note that we have never, in the history of mankind, lived in a time such as today. Yeah. I mean, particularly when you look at all the, the technology and the things that are happening. Well, it's, yeah, it's, we definitely haven't lived in a time like today. I think technology is a facet of that, but more specifically, communication. Yeah, there are um, there like we're we're like as close to Babel as you can get. Yeah, there are those that uh, that would hold the position that that um, see there are certain instances like when you read the Book of Revelation and it talks about you know the whole world will see yeah this event take place and when people would read that in the past they would go yeah right. Uh, you can't really say that today. Yeah, is it so? What is it? The I think it's in the Olivet Discourse. Christ says, "If people are coming, uh, many people will come saying that they're Him, but don't be fooled by them because right. you'll know." Right. And then in Revelation, it talks about like the two witnesses, which are basically never talked about um, when people are saying it's the end times or like right. nobody or uh, when people are saying that the end times happened in seventy A.D. Nobody ever talks about. They'll like say uh, Nero, for instance, it was um, was the beast, in, you know, out of the earth, um, talked about in Revelation thirteen. But nobody ever gives like reference to what the two witnesses were. But right. in any case, so that's the that's my that's that's me saying I don't believe that it happened in seventy A.D. Anyway. No, of course it didn't. And there's a, there's a fascinating. There's a fascinating study looking at that, but the point is, is that, and I agree with you. I think that, uh, well, that the, the, Al, Al Gore did not do us any favor when he invented, he invented the, internet. the internet. Yeah, <laughs> but what well, I, I was just going to say, the two witnesses—they're said to be the whole world. The whole world is like watching their death, is yeah. what it says. So anyway, yeah, in the uh, on Instagram, uh, on, on Instagram or, or whatever. <laughs> Um, on Instagram, yeah, it's uh, you know news is uh, instantaneous. Yeah, uh, nowadays, uh, all because of the internet, and and uh, I I agree with Josh. I think that the the uh, t- the internet is for for all intent and purposes a uh, a redesign of the Tower, Tower. of Babel. Yep. It's the yeah. Tower of Babel. So the the uh, the book of Thessalonians, uh, particularly the the second book, but I believe that this is very pertinent to for the church to understand and to take heed. Well, and I, we just made this like massive statement about the internet being the Tower of Babel. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to be clear. Obviously, we're streaming on the internet right now. Yeah, our church is very internet savvy, yeah. and we use the internet all the time. Um, we're not saying that the internet is um, this uh, is evil. Is evil the like the internet is a thing? It's neutral. Like I don't think that the I don't think that the Tower of Babel itself, the building, the Tower of Babel, was evil. Um, but mankind was using it specifically to to not go out like they're supposed to to go out and be fruitful and multiply, and they wanted to bring God down to them. Um, they wanted, or they wanted to go up to God, and so I think the internet is used that way, and was you know, is basically being used that way. Well, and you know, you approach that, Josh, with somewhat uh, a reasonable uh, outlook. You know, there are many people who have difficulty with that. For example, uh, in my studies, we're digressing for just a second, but this is just you know, introduction to where we're headed. But um, you know, if if you if you happen to study the uh, the development of technology. See, I believe personally that technology is uh, has a uh, luciferic origin, mm-hmm. and that much of the technology that we see today comes from uh, Lucifer and his uh, his minions uh, to drive mankind towards separation from God. 
Uh, and uh, if you study, for example, the um, you know the original blueprint plans um, were said to come from uh, automatic writing. You're talking about for the Xerox machine, right? For the Xerox machine. Yeah, but you can go even further than that, and yeah, like you can get into. I, it sounds like a crazy. When he's saying Luciferic, he means satanic, like it comes from Satan. This is not to say that all technology is evil, but that there is something revelationy. <laughs> no, <laughs> something revelatory. Yeah, something revelatory, revelatory yes, about okay. technology, and that may seem to be like conspiracy theorist, but. Go back and look at the um, the origins of um, technology in in lore. Right, you look at like uh, Prometheus stealing the was he the one who stole the fire? Well, basically the fire was taken from yes, Prometheus stealing the fire from Mount Olympus and it being given. You look at um, in the Gnostic origins where they talk about basically the serpent in Gnosticism gives the knowledge. Right. Right. Of the of good and evil to mankind, giving them something that they didn't have before. It's a form of technology. Um, and the list kind of goes on and on. So this idea that technology is something that the gods have and then humans don't. And then it's given by the gods to sort of uh, push us to our evolutionary extent is something that has been in lore and mythology long before a computer chip was ever invented. Um so it's it is pretty interesting, but there's there's some interesting things if you look um, in progressive Christianity and you look at some of the some of the um, influences like the influencers in progressive Christianity and some of the uh, occultic spiritual practices that are there. Sure, they're getting um, inf- like like visualization, for example. Yeah, or the engram. They're yeah. getting influences from ancient beings that claim to have given certain pieces of um, influence over time. It's really, really fascinating. But when we're referring to the Tower of Babel, um, really what I'm referring to is just the fact that the world is using one language in the Tower of Babel. And even though we have our distinct languages through, through technology, our languages are more like dialects. And the uh, the actual language is ones and zeros, right? And and so we're not we're not saying which is binary. We're not yes. FYI, we're, we're not saying that we're anti technology. No, hardly. We're we're, not, <laughs> we're we are coming to you via technology. We're not saying that uh, that we uh, have a tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are uh, those, for example, that argue. That um, that guns should be done away with. Okay, here we go. And 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 <laughs> yeah, you know, it is not the gun that that hurts or kills people. A gun is a tool. Yes, I and, agree with that. And it's least. the it's in the in the wrong hands, it can do immense evil. In the right hands, it can be used uh, very well as a tool uh, to protect. Uh, so and, and I'll, I'll tell you what, if you ever have the opportunity, uh, you know, we're going to uh, if you ever if you ever have the opportunity to go into um, Wyoming, for example, mm. in Cody, Wyoming. Yeah, there's a, um, an amazing an armory, an amazing museum. Well, it's a museum. It's three museums in one. And one of the museums is nothing but the history of weaponry going way, way back. The history of all weaponry? Yeah, yeah. It's it's Wild Bill Hick- Hickok's like, uh, museum or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and I uh, I believe it's an amazing record, museum. I believe for the record that we should do away with guns. That's my personal opinion. I think it should all be swords, knives, and poisons. Well, certainly more personal. <laughs> Certainly, no more swords, personal <laughs> swords, knives, and poisons. That's why. And, and, and you, and for and for you preppers out there that uh, <laughs> that you're storing up all your weaponry. Let me tell you something: crossbows. Yes. Right. Forget the guns, because yeah. you got to have bullet and gunpowder and crossbows. You got to get rid of the see explosive explosive weapons are and, crude and and speaking and speaking of the dominance of the Chinese the Chinese used crossbows for two thousand years there you go there you go right there all right well we better move into scripture here they also invented gunpowder so yeah. there's that. we anyway. can uh, so we can get into uh, God's word here 
we digress. It's so easy for uh, if Josh and I are sitting together just to digress. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to read from First Thessalonians. Oh, yeah, that's what we're doing. Uh, from Second Thessalonians. I'm going to read from Second Thessalonians in this... Uh, just in, we'll go back and we'll digest some of this, but in order to have continuity of thought, uh, as the Apostle Paul writes this, this is his opening. And uh, of course, he does his standard opening where he's uh, talking to the church at Thessalonica. And uh, he extends a greeting, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes in and he uh, establishes um, the beginning of his thought process. He says, we are bound to, this is uh, in verse uh, 3, it looks like. Um, I'm so looking forward to my uh, to my large print <laughs> been, Bible getting How long here. has this been on One hold? Days, well, more, it's been, I'm back out of more than a month. I'm going like, really? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, is that an Amazon? That's a what's up for that type thing. Okay. No, it's actually from Christian book distributors or something like uh, that. See, that's where you went wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I should have got it through Amazon. You got to order from the secular. See, the secular people know what they're doing. The Christians are always behind. Oh, wow. It's true. Uh, moving, moving right along into God's word. Um, okay. so Don't starting, get me wrong. They need Jesus. But. Starting, starting at, at uh, verse 3. So we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, uh, as it is fitting because of your faith grows exceedingly. And the love uh, of every one of you uh, abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you um, among the churches of God uh, for your uh, patience and your faith, and in all of your persecutions and tribulations that uh, you endure which uh, manifest evidence of this righteousness um, uh, and judgment of God that you may be uh, counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is righteousness thing with God uh, to uh, repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you uh, who are troubled Rest uh, with us uh, when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with the mighty angels. In uh, in uh, d- revealed in the mighty angels, in uh, in flaming. The taking of vengeance upon those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with ev- with uh, everlasting damnation, destruction, uh, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He Himself comes in that day uh, he, to be glorified uh, by His saints and to be admitted amongst all those who believe because uh, our testimony uh, amongst you was believed. What version are you using? This is uh, MacArthur Study Bible. I don't think that's translation. New King James. New King James. And what version are you ordering? I don't remember. It's been so long ago. Who wants... (laughs) Please post in the comments what what version you want him to, to read from. I find that the NLT is good for common language. I personally study from the NASB, but... Well, this doesn't have any these or those. Yeah, but it's essentially a these or those Bible. What I might do is is um, just cancel my order since it's been over a month and order through Amazon. Yeah, look up a, a, a good NASB. I like NASB. Yeah. It's a word-for-word translation. I use a number of different Bibles, uh, but um, I like NASB. I have no problem with it. Yeah. Our church uses NLT for the common language. But, I also uh, like NLT as well. But, uh, you know, that well, it's a Baptist favorite from what I understand. All righty. Well, sitting in the back row is Baptist favorite, too. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so the Apostle Paul, as he gets into this... You have two votes for NLT and <laughs> one for NASB, okay. by the way. Okay, well, there you go. Um, you, you realize that part of... It reads better, too, if I can actually see what I'm reading. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking to myself, do you want me to read this for you? <laughs> yeah, because I'm... I and don't you have glasses? Do you just need a bigger uh, I do have glasses, subscription? but I, I need to go to the doctor. I really didn't get it, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that being said, it's just easier if I... Or you could use a tablet and just have it, you know, big text. Sure, okay. Um, <laughs> All right, we can move on. The Apostle Paul is basically... Um, admonishing the church here in Thessalonica and thanking them that they're being steadfast. And uh, he notes inside of here as he's uh, writing them that uh, they've gone through persecution for their faith. And they've had some tribulations of people that have, uh, you know, come down on them. And yet they have been uh, persevering. And and, uh, part of his... Part of his statement here in his encouragement to them, first to note that they have been persevering and that they have gone through these tribulations for the faith, is to note that those who are persecuting them um, will not go without judgment. Sure. And I, I think that... that um, I think there's a large body of... of believers that have difficulty with that that they they find that they want they don't want there to be judgment yeah well you know god is love ah yes you know god is love and so you know because god is love there is no judgment there is no retribution you know there is there there are none of those things and because god is love well i think the difficulty comes in from this dualistic uh, ideology that um, there's like two separate natures that are warring against each other. And I just think it's, it's, it's ultra simplistic. I mean, God is, God is love, but that doesn't mean that he is not just, it doesn't mean that he can't be angry. And certainly, you know, parents, parents should be able to understand this. Maybe even, couples like you should be able to understand like loving somebody but being angry with them uh so it's weird to me how we tend to like say that god can only be one or the other the two are totally capable of coexisting without removing the meaningful um truth of the one element well i think the benefit of studying the old testament in particular is that in the Old Testament we and and there are churches out there that have difficulty with with uh, studying the Old Testament because we're not subject to you know the law of Moses anyway we're we're under the Abrahamic covenant so we only study the New Testament because it talks about Jesus who is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant uh, that being said that flawed reasoning is exactly that because in order to in order to have a broader understanding of the character of God, you really need to go back and study the Old Testament mm-hmm. because there his character as he as he interacted with Israel, his people that he had called aside, as he interacted with them, his character was revealed in so many ways. Yeah. And the the whole concept of, you know, um God is God is this uh, particularly and uh, forgive me I'm going to use a, a term that some of you may not be familiar with but um, this whole concept of God uh, demonstrating His love in a in a milk toasty kind of way, mm-hmm. um, you know, in in uh, in American food culture, uh, old people in order to eat their bread used to take bread toast and they would dip their toast in milk. And it would soften the bread so that they could eat it because they they didn't have teeth in order to be able to chew it. Right. In in gingivitis. So, well, because we didn't have dentists like we have now. So the the uh, um, when you say that somebody is milk toasty, what you get is you get this kind of mushy kind of uh, uh, thing that is there. Viscous. Yeah, and and that's not what. Scripture represents God's love to be. Yeah. 
God's love actually requires God's love actually requires that there be a judgment yeah. attached to those who reject God and who live uh, in a uh, godless manner, a lascivious manner. A, uh, and so, so here, the Apostle Paul is reminding the church at Thessalonica through all of these, uh, through all these uh, tribulations that you're going through, through all these things that you've been steadfast in, don't feel that you're alone. Don't feel that there isn't going to be judgment because there will be judgment. Yeah, and there's also a correlation um, between the New Testament and the Old Testament in terms of God's vengeance or wrath or judgment as well. And people like to say that they're that the God of the Old Testament is the harsh one, and the God of the New Testament is the um, not harsh one, or is the is the lovey one. But if you look in the Old Testament, there's lots. Lots of examples of, in fact, pretty much every time that there's judgment cast upon a nation or a person, there's also the possibility for repentance. There's also there's always grace involved. Right, right. In the same vein, people always talk about Jesus as being, you know, loving, um, as if they mean to make him milk toasty, yeah. as Pastor Monty would say. Yeah. But you know, Thessalonians in particular is uh, is corollary to Revelation, and the very first chapters of Revelation are present day proclamations. Like we 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 tend to think that Revelation is all future tense, but it's only the latter half of Revelation that's future tense. The first half of Revelation is talking to the present churches. Mm-hmm, right. Thessalonica, I yes. think, is one of them. Um, talking to the present churches and it's judgment being cast. Yeah. It's specifically like, I will spit you out of my mouth. You know, that's Those to Laodicea. Um, and there's, there's a whole bunch of different, you know, judgments. You have said you're this, but you're not. Therefore I will do this. Or if you don't do this, I will do this. Um, there's a whole bunch of different judgments and we see Jesus casting judgment a lot on the on pharisaical thought processes right. people who claim to be leaders or those who were learned and understood he would cast judgment right down to playing judge and jury when he you know builds a whip and drives people out of this out of the temple yeah so yeah those people don't know what they're talking about yeah um you know what we forgot to set a clock what time, uh, oh where are we at in the uh we're about 30 minutes into our broadcast Okay, so. so we need to wrap this up. Let me just say that, and we're going to go back and talk a little bit more about this. Um, These verses. Not week, not next week. Oh, right. Next week is spring next break. Next week is spring break, and both uh, Pastor Josh and myself will be out of town. I'm going on break again. And so uh, and, and so, um, we will take this up uh, f- uh, the week after next. But we're going to continue discussing this idea. But what I would say is is that if you um, and we don't see, uh, to be honest, the modern church doesn't see persecution uh, quite in the manner that the uh, that the early church did. Uh, there are small churches around the world, for example, uh, in China. Yep. You know, there are people who are sent to uh, reindoctrination camps. You know, just because they profess faith in Christ and are treated in a very poor manner. Those, but but in the U.S., while we see some forms of uh, of discrimination and those types of things, nothing compared to what the early church went through. Um, and yet, God's word is consistent that if you are doing His work and you are being truthful in representing who He is, that uh, those who take issue with you and and uh, those who persecute you will stand in judgment before God. Well, in the last half of verse 5 is, is, to some degree, the more important part, which is to say, um, let's see, God will use this persecution to show his justice. So yes. That's part A. Part B is, and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. Yes. And so there's that. Um, I'll give a shout out. I'll pull a Pastor Monty here and give a shout out to my HeartScribe Bible study. If you go over to the HeartScribe channel, um, which should be at the bottom of our Facebook page, or I'm sure a link can be posted by producers. 
But um, if you go to the HeartScribe channel and verse by verse, I'm going over the book of James right now. Mm -hmm. And um, this week, I think it's this week. Is that right? One of our producers back there? Yeah. This week, we're hitting James 1, 2 and talking. No? 1, 1? Wow, we're really far behind. (laughs) Okay. But um, we'll be talking in James 1, basically... Uh, really soon here about the idea of suffering, mm-hmm. um, which is the the very famous verse in James, consider it all joy when you encounter suffering and trials of every kind, right? And there is that idea um, in the next couple weeks in that Bible study, we're going to draw that out a lot more and talk about the idea of suffering towards an end and and what it means. And I think Christians need both understandings, that suffering comes to an end, Um and that there is justice in suffering, and that there's a reason for suffering. Well, yes, yes, and we can we can expand on that um, when we get together again in two weeks. From the standpoint that uh, there are there are many uh, believers who simply don't understand that we are in the process of being uh, conformed to the image of Christ. Sanctified, being sanctified, and and that is a that is a process, uh, and uh, it it is a uh, a difficult process uh, sometimes. Before we tra- most times before we transition, um, John Parker made a comment. He says they also put cheddar cheese on apple pie. Is that a thing? Old folks, yeah, cheddar cheese on apple pie. I I don't like apple pie, so I'm not. I I don't know. I mean, cheese and bread works, and. Yeah. Cheese and apples can work. Yeah. Hmm. I may just have to try that. Cheddar cheese and apple pie. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Producer Jasmine. Please no, no, no. <laughs> no! Producer Jasmine just no! gave me <laughs> one of those looks. <laughs> well, there are ma- there are many different uh, things that you can do with food. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to close this section out and uh, enter our. Uh, our new section in regard to relationships. Now, last week we closed out the idea of uh, our relationships with uh, siblings mm-hmm. and opened up a, a brief discussion, a, a foundational discussion on one of the next primary relationships that we have, uh, and that is with our parents. I heard a few jabs. I did, did yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, uh, I think this will be a fun segment for Josh and I to explore. Okay, um, fun for who? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well uh, you know, so based upon our discussion of last week, or last laying the foundation, first of all, um, Recognize that the relationship that exists between parents and child um, is one of the most interesting of relationships that we deal with. Be, number one, because uh, in the beginning, it's a forced relationship. Sure. Meaning that you have chi- no choice. Your child pops out and there they are. Well, some some people try to, you know, make a choice out of it, like when they drown their babies in the lake or things like that or use coat hangers or, or, yeah but but uh, or lock them in closets you know i mean use but, vacuums uh, but terrible things but but the the basic thing is is that um you know it's it, it begins as a relationship that is is not of choice except to say that the parents made a choice didn't they yeah, and we could go into a a whole, and I don't want to get convoluted. Um, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, Rose and I were talking about this uh, this um, BS that's going on with uh, Meghan Markle and Harry and Marple. Markle. <laughs> it's not an Agatha Christie novel. <laughs> Meghan Markle and Harry, and you know they're uh, taken back because the child was born you know and uh, etc cetera, etc cetera. it's just really what what are you talking about oh she's upset because some of her relatives supposedly made comment that the baby was born uh, and looked like uh, it was uh, darker than it should be you don't think that's upsetting i think that's 
BS. You don't think they you... said that, or you think that it would be BS that they said it? I I think that it, that uh, Meghan Markle and Harry are being uh, whiny about understanding what it is when they had sex and a child was born. They are a mixed couple, and they made a choice, a decision in order to bring a child into the world. I think you don't understand what the what's being said then. Oh, I well understand it. No, 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 because, because they're they're because, what they're saying because is because I am interracially married. In, <laughs> interactionally? <laughs> inter, interracially married. I am no, interracially no, married. No, what they're saying what they're saying the consequences no, what of they sex are saying between two people of different races. What they are saying is that it is ridiculous that a comment about their child's whiteness is being made. They're not saying that they're bothered that their child might not be white. They shouldn't be bothered. They shouldn't be bothered that but, people... But what, but what I'm but saying is they're not their... bothered by that. What they're saying is that they're bothered that the, that the monarchy is potentially bothered about it. They're saying that comments were made on from the monarchy. That's what they're taking issue with. They're no, not saying that they're bothered that no, their child is No, they're taking issue with the fact that they're whiny. Uh, okay. And that I think you, you're making a bad example. No, I'm not making a bad example. If you're interracially married and you choose to have children, you might as well understand right off the bat that there are some people that are just going to have difficulty with that. I am interracially and you, and married. You need to, and you and need to live with that. I'm interracially married, and my daughter is dark like me, but my son is white like his mother. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, and, and there's a whole genetic thing going on. And you should study the genetics of understanding that. But the point is, uh, is that when your child comes into the world, you develop a relationship with that child. And it is not the child who is the one that is, uh, who is responsible for developing that relationship. It is the parent who is responsible to develop that relationship and to in and up to a certain point as the child grows and begins to develop as a person then you have an opportunity to to expand your relationship and to develop into what it needs to be but there are many parents who um, first of all are ill-equipped to be parents I've said before, I'll say again, I kind of understand Margaret Sanger's teachings. No. <laughs> I don't, there, there are just some people that don't need to be parents. That being said... No. I, you know, that being said, um, it is the parents' responsibility to work on this and not the child's. And there are many parents that simply fall short. They want to keep their children uh, uh, as children. You know, I think it should be if you have a four, if, if, you, if you want to have sex, I think that you should have to, um, you should have to take a class on parenting. Yeah, with a 40-page with a, uh, exam. <laughs> At the end of it, no. I think you should have and to. I think you should have to watch people's kids. <laughs> and if you, well, that that could be part of the class. That could I think be. there was a, there was a failed TV show experiment where they did this, where they had a neighborhood and the parent. It was like a cul-de-sac, and the yeah. parents stayed in the house across the street from these young people who wanted to be parents, and you know. In case, in case of an emergency, but then they like lived in a house with these children, and they wanted it. It was pretty interesting. Well, there have been social experiments to like give a, give kids a, a doll. Oh, of course, and have them responsible to care for the doll. I had a bag of, and, no, I had an egg. I had to take care of in high school. Yeah, maybe it I was mean, a bag of flour. I don't remember. Yeah, and it, and I don't I don't think that those things don't even begin to be adequate in understanding what it means to care for an actual live child right that is um 
that is basically demonic in form until, <laughs> until it's definitely demonically informed. <laughs> I don't know if it's demonic in form, but it's demonically informed for sure. So sin nature. So what I'm what I'm saying. My, one outset, of my favorite verses in the Bible is the man. I don't remember the address of it, but it's something to the effect of a child comes out of the womb speaking lies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty true. But my view is is that a child comes out of the womb uh, selfish uh, to the core, and it is the responsibility of the parents to teach them and wean them away from their selfishness. Yep. And there are many parents that are ill-equipped because they fail to be able to to adequately do that, uh, either uh, either through ignorance uh, or um, or a combination of that or a lack of wanting to educate themselves uh, to learn how to deal with those things. In case you're wondering, if you want to fact check me, it's Psalm 58.3. The wicked are... Well, okay, let's... You keep going. I'll find the actual translation. This is the King James. So at the, <laughs> at the, at the premise or at the heart of our discussion, what I want to point out is that uh, when, when children grow up uh, to... Uh, to act a certain way and to uh, behave in such a way in regard to, uh, you know, to the relationship that they develop or don't develop. Um, first of all, at, at the heart of that, it is the parent's responsibility uh, to begin to deal with that. Yeah. And there are many parents who simply negate that responsibility. Yeah, we um, here at ABF in beautiful sunny portland oregon we uh we have a proprietary um theory of parenting we call crib theory that talks about essentially the biological family as being an incubator for um a person's um godliness essentially okay and that's like the point is your and your parents specifically actually specifically your father, but your parenting structure in general is supposed to model godly behavior right out right out the gate. And unfortunately it's a lack of modeling that is, you know, directly linked to all sorts of problems. Yeah, so we have developed as secularly. A, as a society, we have developed various mechanisms uh to um to babysit our children so that we're not responsible to uh, deal with them in the development. So, for example, one of the uh, terrible aspects of television is that there are many parents who just plop their kids in front of the TV, and that's all the kid sees for 10 or 15 hours a day. Yep. And that's a terrible... If, if you have ever watched uh, children's programming today, oh, my goodness. Wow. It's it's amazing the and you understand uh, you know and you understand uh, mind control and and uh, you know the influence of of constantly repeating certain things. Yeah. Um, these children are just absorbing that nonsense. Yeah. Um, then then you also have the uh, the parents that uh, that view the school system. As uh, babysitters when they get older? It's the majority of parents with yeah. kids in public school, yes. Yeah, and... Uh, I think the COVID um, pandemic has really woken a lot of people to the fact that they themselves are very, very ill-equipped yes. to, you know, to work with their children. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and so you have these various... And so, the, and so then we add on to that, for example... Latch uh, key kids that uh, you know go to various uh, clubs after school because their parents are not available to them. You want to describe that term for people? It's really Latchkey? like a 1980s term. Latchkey is the idea that uh, you know, as a parent, you weren't going to be home because you're working. So you you're, you know, you either had to work at night, like a swing shift, for example, uh, two to ten, or uh, you weren't getting home for another hour before your kids got home. So what you'd do is you would, they would be dropped off at the house and they wore a, a, a key like a around their neck yeah. like a necklace with a key on the end of it so that they could let themselves in. 
and uh, and uh, supposedly be safe. There was a whole generation of kids that grew up uh, during my generation as uh, latchkey kids. Yeah, um, which it used to be like that used to be considered a thing, but by the time I was in high school, that was just normal. Yeah. Yeah, so so what what I'm basically saying is is that there are many parents that from the outset uh, negate the responsibility that is theirs in regard to the the children that they produce. Yeah, and the big one, the big one really is the public school system. Right, right, and and so so when you talk about um, and so we'll just do, digress for a second when you talk about um, childhood development, there is a whole gamut of things which we could discuss that um, are basically tied to understanding childhood development and how your relationship with a, a parent then is developed over time. But the largest one is that rightfully so, parents when they when they have small children, a need to protect their children and they need to tell them what to do. Tell them what to do from the standpoint that they don't know. And so you guide them through the process of telling them, don't do that, don't touch that, eat your food, uh, you know, wash your hands, brush your teeth. You know, so, so you have all these things that you are telling your children what to do uh, and then you want to protect them from like running out into the street well, it's, a, it's, yeah, there's a game of, so you have to input, I think is the best way to say it. Like human beings are designed for input. We always have been. Um, that input used to come from God himself. Right. And then we chose to not allow that input to come from God, to deny the input that was given. And for a long time, we just sort of lived off the post-knowledge of Eden. Um, and we're working with the knowledge that we had gained from eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then God gave the law to Israel, and so then, you know, they were inputted by that. That's where Jesus says, like, for instance, man will not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God, right? right, right. So we're supposed to be inputted, and a parent's job... So people will find input no matter what. That's what they do. The right. Humans need That's what they're designed. They need it, yes. So a parent's job is to provide input the difficulty is, is a parent going to do that through restriction or direction? And so a lot of times parents will, the easiest type of input is to restrict. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. As opposed to phrase and to frame things positively, here's what you can do that actually builds like initiative in, in a child. Right, and, and, and a lot of this has to do with uh, uh, another subject altogether, but a lot of this has to do with um, understand the dynamics of communication. Not only do you need to understand the dynamics of communication with your with your spouse, as I said, which is a whole another subject, but you need to understand the dynamics of communication. With, with, uh, wow, uh, <laughs> the dynamics of communication. Communication. With, with, with I just children. got back from Hawaii, and that sounds like a Hawaiian word. Yeah, it's a Hawaiian communication. Word. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how dare me? That was un racist. Uh, underst understand the dynamics of uh, communication with your children as well. Right. And and so what we're gonna do because I think we're close to time. Yeah. Uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, we have. Yeah, we have like twelve minutes left. Okay. Well, we got to cover these things. Um, we have to cover what's up. What's yeah, up with that? Yeah. Much more important than talking about relationship. Well, you know. Um, There's your first what's up with that for the day. So the dynamics of communication <laughs> with children. You know, parents need to study how it is that they are to communicate with their children, which mm. Josh alluded to. Um, but um, but many parents see that as work that they just don't want to do. Yeah. Uh, well. The, sad truth is, is that most parents ended up becoming parents out of laziness. Yeah, no, I agree. They, I agree. you know, they, they didn't want to work hard to maintain their, their, uh, well, I was going to say virginity, but that's not even right. They didn't work hard to maintain their righteousness before God in their virginal state. And then, you know, some people who didn't even care about that didn't work hard to grab a condom. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it, like it starts off like, 
a lot of parents start off from the standpoint Poorly. of yeah of not yeah not thinking it's going to be work and i remember one of the first things that i learned nobody really said this to me and i obviously i knew that it was going to be hard work to be a parent i was parenting long before i had biological children but one of the things that i learned was that you sort of you enter into parenting thinking okay i just gotta wait for the rhythm for things to settle back down you know yeah, that never happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you, what yeah. you got to do is you got to adapt because it just gets. Um, I, I, when I say worse here, I'm not implying that it's bad. I'm just saying the burden gets heavier and heavier and heavier. It doesn't ever go back to what it was unless you're doing something wrong, unless well, you're suppressing the the work you're supposed to be doing. So part of the dynamic that is there, yeah, I agree in large part with you, Josh. Part of the dynamic that is there is that. As a parent, if you if you are proactive, so you're studying, you're preparing, you're watching, you're vigilant, you're you know you're guiding, you're doing all those things where you can be actively involved in the development of your child, then you have less of that drama. Yeah. However, if you're reactive, yep, and you're going from crisis to crisis to crisis, that that is very, very tiring. Yeah. And and getting people out of the reactive mode to the proactive mode is a very difficult thing. Well, it's got to be done before parenting. Well, yes, yes. Well, it can be corrected, but it but it, it it is very difficult to do. What I see in dealing with individuals on an adult level that are having life issues. Mm-hmm is that they are reactive rather than proactive. Yeah. And when I would sit down with them and go over things, whether it be financial or whatever it be, and I would say to them, here are some things that you can do so that you're proactive in how you deal with these right. things. And you won't have to react and try to put out fires. Right. They're, they're like, nah, now nah, you know. I like putting out fires. I'm <laughs> Yeah, I've always done it, this and that's way. why you're here at yeah, my door. That's exactly correct. answering. You know, that's why. That's that's why. Why did you involve me again? Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing. So, um, so foundationally, we'll end this segment with with saying that 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 first of all, the responsibility for um, the a relationship that parents have with their children is initially um, on the parent. And the parent has a responsibility to understand the dynamics of what's going on in the life of those little ones that they bring into the world. Yeah. And, and what we'll develop uh, over the next month or so is we'll develop understanding what that dynamic is to look like uh, from a godly perspective. Because ultimately, that's what we want to do. But, but foundationally, it's good to at least understand that uh, this is where we start, and that we need to have a clear understanding. Um, you want anything else before we close this? Sure. Um, yeah, I think that it's definitely started by the parent. I think that it is res- the responsibility of the parent to maintain it no matter how old they get. Uh, and I think that what you're looking at is a discipleship relationship. And I think too many parents think that their responsibility is to wind their kids up and let their kids go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're, it, it, you're 18 now. Yeah. And it's a hard, that's a hard balance because the responsibility of the parent is to send their kids out. There's a difference between winding their kids up, letting them go, essentially abandoning your child, you know, treating them like a dog. I put out a bowl of food and water for you now. Now just, you know, you know, there's a difference between that, which I think a lot of parents do. And that's what Pastor Monty was referring to when when talking about putting them in front of a TV or putting them in the education system or the public education system or whatever. You're winding your children up and hoping them to be something. That is not what we're called to. Discipleship is or sorry, parenting is biological discipleship. And what we're called to do is make an investment, a lifelong investment, where that child walks alongside of us and sees what it is to be a human being at all stages of life. And, the, and that changes how a parent goes about that. 
where they have to, once the child gets to a certain point, they have to send their child out. And um, so it's a very dynamic position because in one point they got to keep their child in to keep them safe. And the other point they have to send their child out, but still provide them this place of safety so that they can retreat. It's a very, very, very dynamic um, position. It starts with the parent understanding that their role is to disciple their child. They can't escape discipleship because, you know, they haven't met the right person in the church or whatever. You made this baby. Now you're going to do right by this baby. That's right. And it's funny because that baby is what the scripture says. Like God created animals and, you know, you can argue with me all you want to about people being animals. I think they are, but I think they're more than animals, if that makes sense. Um, They're not just animals. So God made animals to be able to make new animals of like kind. They're able to reproduce of like kind. Discipleship is about creating a like image in discipline, you know? And mm-hmm. and literally what you happen is the physic what happens here is the physical like image of the person right down to the cellular structure. <laughs> so there is nothing more akin to discipleship in in reality than the biological relationship between a parent and their child and yet we have so many parents who do not disciple their children oh yeah that's a pastor's job yeah and and so we're gonna continue to develop this like i said i have strong feelings this is an aspect of uh of relationship that is not uh is not talked about a lot i believe and uh a lot of people uh misunderstand um how to progress both as a both as a parent and a child yeah. inside of the relationship as it matures and develops and goes through the various stages. So we're going to continue to explore that for a little bit. Let's close this segment and move into talking about animals. What's up with that? Well, actually, no. I in in uh, in my in what's up with that segment today? We're talking all about people, okay, and uh, just kind of the interesting things right. that are out there. So, um, you know, there's this uh, there's this guy that um, he thought he was an only child, mm. and then he uh, had given to him one of those uh, DNA test gift type yeah. things. Mm-hmm. And he discovered, according to that test, that he that he was not an only child, but he had thirty siblings. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. And and he further discovered that um, he didn't uh, he didn't know who his biological father was. Because it turns out he's the product of a sperm bank. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, that makes sense, right? That he had 30 siblings then. Oh, my goodness. Poor guy. Uh, Wait, so so did the siblings all connect to each other? Well, so he confronted his mother, Uh basically, and (laughs) said, what's up with that? (laughs) (laughs) And she confirmed to him that, yeah, he was the product of a sperm bank. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so poor guy. So <laughs> so I thought that How was, did that make the news? I, uh, it was in uh weird news. Okay. I, I draw a lot of this Did you ever see out, that out of weird Did you ever news. see that Vince Vaughn movie mm. where he was the donor to like 100 children or something and they all like got together? And they were angry with him because yeah. he was yeah, cuz he was a doctor actually. It, well, I don't know about that, but yeah, yeah, but there, it's a Vince Vaughn movie. I can't remember. There's, what it's an, called. there's an actual live case of a doctor that uh, was doing that type of thing. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so that's that's my first one. Poor guy. Um, you know this this next one's a little bit sad, but but uh, talk about relationship between uh, parents. Um, you know Mother's Day is coming up. Yes, I knew that. And and you should, and and you should be thankful for your mother and all of the work that she did 
in bringing you up, particularly if you were... Uh, I can't tell if you're talking to me or the audience. <laughs> particularly if you were a little brat. Um, okay, now I know who but, you're talking to. <laughs> but this, this mother received a Mother's Day card uh, from her child and uh, was all mushy about it and, and thankful that her child remembered her until she opened it up and in the bottom corner was a disclaimer <laughs> that said, I was forced to do this. I like it. And the the poor woman was devastated. I like it. That's terrible. And when I do that to my own mother, I'm going to add a second disclaimer that says, I learned about how to do this on your on your, <laughs> your husband's, husband's podcast. show. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. Don't you do that, do that yes. to your mother. Uh, John Parker says... Cecil jo- Jacobson was the name of the woman. Who, okay. I, anyway, shout out to Cecil Jacobson. Yeah, thanks, John. <laughs> uh, all righty. And then the last one I got here is, um, you know, and this could be controversial um, on a number of levels, and I don't want to get into all the uh, controversial aspects of it. But you know what? Uh, there's a segment of population, particularly uh, my generation and older, who uh, have difficulty with uh, minding their own business. And this individual was at McDonald's and, and, and was parked in the disabled parking. And he had a, a placard showing that he was allowed to do so. And this elderly woman came up to him and berated him because he was younger Mm-hmm. And he was parked in a disability spot, and he finally had had enough, and he got out of the car and took off his leg <laughs> <laughs> and basically said, "Now leave me alone." All right then. Um, and so did she she did, you know, a little bit embarrassed, but she did, but then there's a long diatribe about, you know, People, listen, when somebody is disabled and they have a placard from the government saying that they're disabled and allowed to park in a disabled spot, you don't know how they're disabled. How they're disabled. Yeah. And it's none of your damn business. (laughs) The government has decided that they're allowed to park in that spot. Right. And you have no right to go up to people and berate them. Because you can't determine whether they're disabled or not. Yeah. Now, I know you're thinking on behalf of those people who you think actually deserve this spot. But, uh, again, that's not your right. Yeah. You know, the government has people to go out and check those types of things and, uh, and to make sure that, uh, you know, that's been checked on. You know a little bit about this because you had a disabled card for a while because of your leg. Uh, yeah, and I just chose not to renew it, but I could have. Because you have to renew. They're only good for a time period or whatever. Um, but I chose not to renew it. Funny thing about that, though, my boss, um, he he threatened me for parking in the disabled <laughs> spot because he didn't feel I was disabled enough. Enough. Um, he was a real piece of work. Yeah. Anyway. Not his call. Nope, not his call. Not his call. And and so you know if you're one of those people that you just you just uh, can't help but stick your nose in somebody else's business, um, my my thought is if they've got a placard that says they can park in disability spot, that's not your problem. Was her name Karen? Huh? Was her name Karen? No. That's a. Th- Do you know about the Karen phenomenon? No. Okay, that's what they call, like, um, I don't know how it started. Unfortunately, it was a woman named, named Karen. She kind of ruined it for all the Karens out there. I know you you love Karen Carpenter. But there was a woman named Karen, you know, and she had a very um, typical, not typical, she had characteristics about her that were cartoony enough that now when there is a woman who berates another person on behalf of, you know, her version of the world. They call that a Karen. Okay, interesting. interesting. So it's like, yeah. stop being a Karen, or yeah. that's a real Karen, or, you know. Okay, good to know for cultural slang, sure. Yeah. I, I always loved the story when uh, um, 
some of you may not know this actor, but uh, Peter Falk. Okay, yeah. Columbo. Columbo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Peter Falk, great actor. Old, old school, though. You may know him. He is the grandfather of the boy um, who is the brother, Fred Savage, of the boy in Princess Bride. Oh. So the people who know Princess Bride, that's still culturally relevant. Um, which is inconceivable. They, uh, they, no, no, okay. Producer Jasmine perked up, yes. Um, inconceivable! Um, but uh, they, uh, he's the grandfather, but he also played a famous detective called Columbo, yes. Peter Falk was uh, blind in one eye. He didn't have an eye, right? He yeah. just had a fake, yeah, he had fake, a fake eyeball. He had a fake eyeball. And when he was uh, a young man and uh, was playing baseball... Um, he was angry with the umpire who called uh, who called who called the ball incorrectly, mm-hmm. and rather than berate the umpire, he took his eyeball out and handed it to him and said, "You need you need this more than I do." That's a man with a good sense of humor. Yeah, there you go, right there. Okay, well, that's all I got for today. All right, uh, so we're not we're not coming back next week, right? Yes, we will not be here next week. We will be on vacation. I'm going to the coast. I think you're you're halfway to the coast. Yes, I'm going to some state park to go camp with yeah, my family. Yeah, um, we just got back from Hawaii, so. Uh, <clears throat> so you have to recover. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's close it down. If you or someone um, you know is seeking answers to know more about your faith or you're new to Jesus Christ of the Bible, please check out the Help tab at abfpdx.org. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and a member of the Vigilance Radio Network, which is a part of our online ministry where we host a lot of uh, helpful and interesting resources for the church, local and at large. Um, And if you're one of those who's enjoyed that service, remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. There you go. They're on the screen. Remember that you can find them at ABF's YouTube page, Instagram, Facebook. So make sure to take a second so that you can um, do that and stay up to date whenever we share our new content each week, which, though not next week, will be (laughs) every Tuesday at 11 a.m., just to share something with you, coming up in April, we're going to be starting up the Nightlight again, just for three episodes. We're going to be talking about, oh man, what are we talking about? We're going to be talking about pornography. Um, we're going to be talking about, I think, anxiety. Uh, there's, and I can't remember what the third one is, but, oh, we're going to be talking about technology addiction. And we're going to be talking about all of that from a Christian perspective and um, answering your questions and just talking through some of those issues. So that's coming up in April. And if you have any questions about those things, comments, or you want to get get it out there so that people are ready for those shows, it'll be on Thursday nights, the first three weeks in April. So that's coming up. Remember to check out our shows, uh, New Heartscribe launching this weekend. And um, yeah. Okay, so see you in two weeks for Truth Time with Pastor Monty. I am Pastor Josh, your senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to 